Welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we've read about how to get away with murder so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read The Perfect Letter by Chris Harrison. Joining us to discuss this reality TV spawned romance novel is Margaret H. Willison, half of Two Bossy Dames, one third of Appointment Television, and Britain's favorite fictional librarian. Hi, Margaret. Hi. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me on. Thanks so much for joining us again. Yeah, you're welcome for reading this book. <laughs> this is not <laughs> that the, bad. Yeah, you read Model Land with us, yeah. which is three times as long. Three times as long and like one eighth as readable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we should put together some charts or something. <laughs> We were gonna we were gonna make a, a a sliding scale at one point, right? With like from <laughs> Dianetics to Black Hills. Yeah, we should still do that. Yeah. Yeah, and this one was like almost disappointingly competent. Mm-hmm. Like I I actively was fine with reading it the entire time I was reading it, and I read it really quickly, which yeah. was great in terms of like, oh, this isn't as much of a punishment as I was expecting. But then disappointing because. If it's not as much of a punishment as I was expecting, there's just, like, a little bit less for me to make fun of. Right. Like, it's sort of... I get a lot of flack for being kind of a TV snob, even though I love terrible things. Sure. But almost all popular sitcoms, I'm like, I don't really like it. And I, for me, there's a middle ground of things that's not interesting. And I either yeah. want to watch, like, Breaking Bad or I want to watch... Like a mystery science theater movie, and I don't right. want to watch, you know, Big Bang Theory. Sure. Or what have sure. you. Right. Yeah, or in I... this case, like, Touched by an Angel? <laughs> well, I was going to say I do want to watch Touched by an Angel, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I similarly, like, reading it, I was like, this is fine. It's not my cup of tea. I'm not interested in it. And yeah, it is engaging one of my things. least favorite tropes. So I'm even less interested in it. But it so wasn't funny. like actively bad. No, no. Highly readable and intensely forgettable. Mm-hmm. And yes. unexpected also. By the way, just in case Chris Harrison is not a household name for you. He is the That's host cool. of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. Which is why I, I read this book. And sidebar, I didn't know that. I knew, I thought he was a contestant on The Bachelor. Oh. I didn't realize he was the host. Yeah. And then I read the back flap and I was I was a little thrown. But it's oh, okay, yeah. I, I rallied. <laughs> I had, I have to tell like an anecdote here. So unfortunately I couldn't get an ebook of this. Uh, so I had to read the actual physical book, which meant that I had to do like a certain amount of like shame hiding of the book on the T, where instead of defaulting, like if the book was closed, I wouldn't carry it so that the title page faced out. I would carry it so that like, the back of the book faced out. And it wasn't until today that I realized that the back of the book is like a fucking glossy eight by 10 photograph of Chris Harrison, which is much more embarrassing than the front cover. <laughs> Well, Which just says the perfect letter and has, like, a lady with a cowboy hat. You know, but maybe everyone else around you is also, like, people who don't like reality television. So maybe they also didn't recognize Chris Harrison. Maybe they thought it, maybe True. they're like, oh, maybe James Patterson is more handsome than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> also, apologies. I do believe it's my fault that you could not get the ebook version because I have the ebook version currently. 
might also be my fault, Kate, because I had the ebook version and I couldn't bring myself to read it. And then my hold on it expired. And then I think it went to you. Uh. <laughs> well, I'm annoyed because I had to purchase this book and it was five dollars. Oh, but that's then so hard. I know. Thank you for sympathizing. But then in February, it became one of the monthly Kindle deals. And now it's currently only two dollars. So if I had pushed pushed it off and waited to read it, I could have saved three dollars. Could have saved three dollars, and I could have bought ice cream with that three dollars. And you could totally have read this book in a day. It is not long, absolutely, and it's very quick. Well, it's mostly quickly paced. Yeah, there's. It's still probably about fifty pages longer than it needed to be, even though it's only three hundred pages long. But yeah, let's jump in. So the perfect letter. Also, by the way, this is not what I was expecting slash not what I wanted it to be because I wanted it to be sort of set in the the Bachelor set, at least in the world of reality television. Yeah. Like, actually, I think my dream would be if Chris Harrison wrote fan fiction for the show Unreal and published it as a book. And so it was just like behind the scenes at the Bachelor and like intrigue among the show's producers. Absolutely. But I would he, be so much more excited to read that book. But he didn't write that. Instead, he wrote The Perfect Letter, which is the story of Lee Merrill, who is a publisher for a New York publishing firm. And she is dating a guy named Joseph, who is her boss at the publishing firm. And he's a very, like, gentle, kind, rich, perfect guy. But Lee just doesn't feel a spark with him. And the reason why is that she is still kind of in love with her teenage sweetheart, Jake, who she hasn't talked to in a long time because he's been in jail. Uh, She she hasn't even been back to Texas for a very long time. Um, She grew up on a prestigious uh, horse ranch and went to Harvard for college and then went straight into the publishing world. And has been back to Texas like once since then for her grandfather's funeral. Mm -hmm. And that's been it. And at the beginning, we know that there's something mysteriously keeping her away from Texas. But it's not really explained what it is until the day before she's supposed to leave to, well, she, um, there's a big party for her because she got yeah. A famous fake record. J.D. Salinger to publish his last manuscript. So Which is a all fake of... Nicholas Sparks book. Yes, exactly. Yes. Like, so much is made about how important and prestigious this book is. Uh, and it, the the titular, the title yes, of The Perfect Letter. That this is the case. That the title of the fake J.D. Salinger book is the same title as the book itself, which just makes, like, its lack of actual bestsellerdom, like, that much more painful. <laughs> so the perfect letter, yeah, it's supposedly this, like, prestigious, you know, J.D. Salinger-type book, but the plot of it is a Nicholas Sparks book, and it's... Absolutely. I don't even remember what it is. I just immediately fell to Lander Per... It's, you know, some, like, they're writing letters, and it's a couple, and one of them dies or something... Yeah, a woman is in an unsatisfying marriage and she's still in love with, like, her marine boyfriend who's, like, in war zones and she's writing him love letters all of the time. But they can only see each other, like, once every year or four years and then one of them dies or both of them die, probably. Mm-hmm. But that book is such a hit that it makes Lee herself famous as the publisher of the book, which I feel like 
is not a thing that happens. Like, yep. I cannot name any publisher. Well, she's an editor. Okay. And I can name some editors, but I also know publishing because right. that's, like, my field. So... Right, I can name some editors. You know who can't usually name editors? Like, creepy bag men who set out to blackmail you, right? Yes. <laughs> they but we're getting like a little go, ahead of ourselves. We are. We're jumping in. Uh, so there's this big party to celebrate Lee for finding, getting this guy to publish his book, and it's like a runaway bestseller, and everyone's reading it. And at this big, elaborate party that the entire publishing house is at, Joseph proposes to her, and she says, uh, can we talk about this in private? And basically ruins the party. <laughs> in fa- like, who wants, you gotta be, like, 100% confident that the person wants a public proposal if you're gonna do that shit. Like, minus Seriously. points to Joseph. Way yeah, minus and- points to Joseph. Oh, but then, okay, so this is a minor plot point, but it's very important to the worst bestsellers brand. So, <laughs> after this disastrous party, they go home, and she's like, I'm sorry, I do love you, I just, you know, you put me on the spot, and I didn't like it, and let's just go to bed. And so they start having sex, and out of nowhere, with, like, no warning, Lee, like, turns and she pulls a scarf out of her nightstand, and she just ties Joseph up. And he's like, wait, what? Yeah. And she's like, I just thought we'd spice things up. I'm sorry. Like, whatever. And he's like, uh, I guess we can do it. I just, you know, you didn't say a word about it. You just tied me up. And she's like, never mind. The moment's ruined. And, <laughs> like, Lee, this you, you guys are both in publishing you sh- you should know about sex paperwork <laughs> and they don't and like the implication is that like they have sex literally exactly the same time every time and she wants to change things and i feel like there's a long way to go from oh like we always have the same sex to i'm immediately going to tie him up like also, that is like, the first step we're taking also like how does she just like have the the scarf hanging around like has she been planning this for a long time (laughs) i don't know but luckily we're just lucky that he got out of it and this did not end up like gerald's game because i could not have handled that (laughs) no so lee is about to leave for texas she's going back to austin for the first time in many years to go to a writer's conference there and deliver a keynote and hear pitches from authors and all sorts of things and Joseph isn't going, so she's like, all right, well, this is good. Like, I'll go there, and I'll work, and I'll see my best friend Chloe, and I'll think about whether or not I really want to marry this guy, and I'll put some distance between us, and it'll be fine. And, of course, the first thing that Chloe says to her when she when Lee sees her again is, oh, by the way, Jake's out of prison. And then we get all of the backstory about Jake and Lee and why Lee hates Texas so much. Yep. So then we get some flashbacks to Lee's childhood or her teenage years, really. And it's sort of unnecessary complica- unnecessarily complicated. Super unnecessarily complicated. Yeah. Basically, Jake comes to live at her farm along with his dad and his dad's business partner because they are both horse trainers. And Jake is still a teenager, but he helps with the business. And at first, she doesn't like Jake because he is he's rude to her, but... Soon, obviously, they fall in love, and they go hang out in a cave and bone all the time, and Jake gets a bat as a tattoo to remind him (laughs) of their sexy times in a cave full of bats. Yep. 
Which is dangerous, you guys. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Um, But Lee's grandfather, who's her guardian, doesn't like that they're together. He didn't even like that they were friends. He really doesn't like that they're dating. And he forbids her from seeing him. And she assumes it's for classist reasons, because they're really rich and Jake's really poor. And And her grandfather, sidebar, does seem really classist. Like, he's very much, like, wants her to be a debutante. And he's always talking about... Yeah, he is classist, but he separately also does not like Jake. Yes, and we find out why, but not until the very end of the book. But so, of course, because they're dumb teenagers, they continue to see each other in secret. In caves. In the hayloft, mostly, I think. hayloft also, yeah. So he can get, like, a haystack tattoo. That's way less cool. Yeah, that is super sexy, super sexy. Um, (laughs) But she's, like, super impressed because... All of Chloe dates, like, these stupid boys who just have sex with her and use her. But Jake, like, doesn't want to have sex yet until it's right and they both feel it. And then, like, when the time is right is, like, when they're in the hayloft sneaking away to be with each other. And they just fucking go at it right there. And they, this really bothered me about this book. They never mention birth control or condoms no, at no, all. No, they do mention a condom in that scene, but it's the mm-hmm. only scene they mention the men. Because I was looking for it. I remember a condom being put on his dick. Yeah, sorry. Because <laughs> I was never, wondering. Uh it, it it that that would bug me a lot. But it's so not they, dwelled on. Subsequently, there is no condom used or or none mentioned. Ever. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Jake is, he's a year older than her, so he graduates high school, and then he starts going on all these weird trips for his dad, and she doesn't like them, and he's kind of cagey about them, and, uh, Jake's dad's business partner, Dale, is real gross, and constantly, like, making sexual comments about her, and... Like, at one point, like, grabs her breast and is like, oh, like, I can tell that you really want me and, you know, I'd be way better than Jake and all this gross shit. Also, he wears a baseball cap that says FBI Federal Booty Inspector. So, you know, he's a classy guy. Yeah. Yeah. But Jake comes up with this plan because Lee's plan is to go to Harvard and, you know, do really great and go into publishing. She's wanted to be an editor since she was a kid. And he says, well, okay, when you turn 18, after you graduate from high school, we'll secretly get married and you can go to Harvard and then I'll follow you after a while and we can live together off campus in secret, you know, as a secret married couple. And if we're already married, when your grandfather finds out, like he won't hate me as much. It's this. It's such a bad plan in so many different directions. It's true, Which but Lee I will give does him realize this. later that it was a bad plan. Like as she flashes back to it, she's like, "Oh yeah, that probably wouldn't have worked." Yeah, I will give Chris Harrison this. It is a terrible plan, but it is one hundred percent a plan that I imagine two seventeen-year-old kids would come up with. <laughs> right. Uh, this plan goes awry when one night after a trip, Lee goes out to find Jake. And here's him getting into an argument with Dale about all sorts the of things. The female body inspector. Yes. Uh, including Dale telling Jake that he's he has to, if Jake doesn't keep helping him with some mysterious thing, he's going to tell Lee that Jake's been lying to her. So she, of course, obviously is eavesdropping and gets very upset by this. And it eventually 
comes out that Jake's doing some shady work for his father and Dale, and Dale starts to attack Jake when Jake reveals that he no longer wants to do that work, so Lee goes to get her grandfather's gun, and pulls it on Dale, and after all sorts of things, including Dale threatening to rape her and taunting her that she can't really do it, she pulls the trigger and shoots him. Yeah. Way to go, Lee. Yeah, I'm into into it. it. I'm into girls committing murder. And then, (laughs) inexplicably, given that they had, like, pretty solid justification to murk the shit out of that creep, um, Jake is like, Lee, like, don't tell them you were the one who shot him. We're going to pretend I'm the one who shot him and make up the worst story ever about how we were like checking on a wounded horse and thought we heard a horse thief and just shot him by accident before we realized that who it was. Yeah. And also he's watching enough CSI to take the gun and shoot it also so that he will get the gunpowder residue on his hands. So he thinks that through, but nothing else. Literally yes. nothing else. And so the pretend idea is that, like, he's going to get off on self-defense and then, like, nobody is going to go to jail. But at least if somebody goes to jail, it won't be Lee. Mm-hmm. And Lee, because she's an idiot, I guess, agrees with this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But, like, yeah. never really commits. She feels bad about it, but Jake is, like, very forceful and very committed about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, they are teenagers. No offense to teenagers, but you're dumb. <laughs> and so they don't think this through, and then they it goes to trial, and it's not quite adding up because it's a dumb story. And then Lee takes the stand, and she confesses. She's like, no, it was me. The most ineffectual confession of all time. Yeah, and then instead it makes it worse because then <laughs> it... For that, even though, when it goes to trial, it's very quickly revealed that the thing that Jake was, the shady business Jake was in on was running horse drugs back and forth from all different places to the ranch where they would dope the horses up so they could perform better and they could push them harder. And this is all illegal. And they find out that Jake had a part, yeah, Jake had a part in it and that they suddenly assume that he killed Dale because of money and drugs. And like that makes so much more sense than their dumb horse thief story. And yeah. Yeah. So it's not, it's not really shocking. They don't believe his story once the drug thing comes out. And given Um, that like he knew the drugs were in his car and ergo, it was like probs going to come out. Like Jake makes, Jake makes a lot of questionable decisions in this book. Let's just put that out there right up front. Yeah, like, getting a romantic bat tattoo is easily one of his top five decisions. If that puts things in... Yeah, if that puts things in perspective for you. So then, you know, Lee gets up there on the stand and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, tells the truth. But, like, while not making eye contact with anyone and being really nervous and not telling anyone in advance... So everyone obviously thinks she's making it up to get her boyfriend off and they kind of like goad her into going back to her old story and then, you know, convict him of murder and sentence him to 10 years in prison. Which is pretty gentle for like murder and a drug charge. Right? Yeah. I forget all the details and also I don't care. So he went to jail for 10 years. She tried to visit him in jail and she wrote him a bunch of letters and he would never allow her to visit. 
and he would never return any of her letters. Um, so after four years, she gave up on him and, you know, started dating other guys and ended up with Joseph. And then... Now she's back in Austin for this conference and she goes out with Chloe the first night and she drinks too much. And so she's really hungover when she goes to give her keynote address, which is so dumb. Um, <laughs> about how no one writes letters anymore. No one respects the written word. All we do is tweet and we have a great watch. read aloud from that later on. <laughs> yeah, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Um, but she goes back to her cabin afterwards and finds it's at that point it's just the letters right jake's not there yeah it's all of her letters that she wrote to jake and then suddenly also a bunch of replies from jake that he's been writing all of these years but just never sending like an asshole yeah and so she assumes that jake has been there but she didn't see him so she leaves the conference to go like around town chasing him which She's literally just going to places and opening the the door and being like, is Jake in this bar? Nope. Okay, bye. She does not have a good plan for this. And she ends up on a dock and finds him. At sunset. Because, you know, because Austin's a real small town. So. (laughs) Yeah. I guess they are soulmates, though. So True. So they have a big argument about, you know, them being apart and her moving on and him never returning her letters. And, of course, it ends with them, like, fiendishly making out and... immediately. I was not on board with that. (laughs) Basically two... Yeah, but Jake would have let her tie him up, though, so... True. (laughs) They're basically, like, two seconds away from having sex on the dock. And all these people are watching them because they're in public and just had a screaming argument. Yeah. Uh, But they go back to her cabin and they have sex like 19 times and everything is perfect. And, you know, she's going to stay with him forever because he still loves her and she still loves him. And then the next morning she goes off to do her conference work and realizes that she has like 15 missed calls from Joseph and a million missed texts from Chloe, and there's a real world out there that she's been ignoring to have sex with this guy she hasn't seen in 10 years, like, 19 times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, wh- one of the people that she meets at the conference, really the only notable person that she meets at the conference, is this guy named Jim Stevens, who she likes immediately, even though he seems He's gross. Creepy. Yeah, super creepy. Glad we're talking about that. But she <laughs> she reads it as like polite Texas Southern gentleman and not as creep show. So whatever. Which is the moment that I knew for sure this book was written by a man, mm-hmm. even yeah. if that man is not Chris Harrison. I am not convinced <laughs> on that front. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, but so whatever. She likes Jim Stevens. She thinks he's a nice guy. And she hopes that she likes his book because she knows that sometimes he can be a good person but have a bad book. But Jim Stevens' book is amazing and it's a memoir about his time in Vietnam and he's basically admitting to war crimes. And she's like, oh, this is like very brave. You could go to jail for writing about all the war crimes you committed. But I like (laughs) you so much and it's such a good book. And he's like, well, it's just the right thing to do, ma'am. And then she like has this manuscript that she likes and... At some point in the day, she goes back to her room and Joseph is there because he flew in to surprise her. Well, we're skipping a very important part. What a blackmailer. Oh, I thought that was after Joseph. Fucking whatever. You guys go. You guys go. 
Yeah. So right after she meets with uh, Jim Stevens, the next person who comes in doesn't have a manuscript. He just has an envelope and he tells her that the book that he's pitching is about a rich girl who kills someone and her boyfriend goes to jail in her place and she goes off to Harvard and then becomes an editor at a big New York publishing house and then comes back to her small town in Texas. And, you know, she's pretty much like, uh, okay, like, who are you? What is this? And he tells her that he knows all about her life and shows her a photocopy of one of the letters that she wrote to Jake when he was in jail, where she admitted to having been the one who killed Dale um, and tells her that he knows that she has a million dollar trust fund from her grandfather. And if she doesn't give him all the money, she's going to go to the police and the newspapers so that they know that this big star editor actually murdered a guy when she was 17 and she'll go to jail forever and it'll be the worst. None of that makes sense, of course, right. because you're a reasonable person who knows yeah. how this sort of thing works. Exactly. She, she freaks out and goes back but to the cabin. But won't and Jake is the money in her trust fund, which she hasn't touched. Go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> not because she wants to like have the security of the trust fund, but because it's like the last thing that she has from her dead grandfather and she can't give her grandfather's money to this monster. And I was like, yeah. go fuck yourself. Buy a handbag with your fucking <laughs> <laughs> So she runs back to the cabin and Jake is there and she tells him what happened and he's like, oh, well, at first she thinks that he has something to do with it because I think the oh, blackmailer right. implies that he does. And then well, after he, has they copies, argue, he has copies of the letters. Oh, yeah, because he has copies of the letters. So after they argue about that. Oh, and comes, also, okay, the argument they have is so stupid because she's like oh my god, he has these letters and, you know, no one else knew about the letters. And he's like, well, I had nothing to do with it and I never showed anyone the letters. And she's like, but he had the letters. And she's, he's like, oh, but wait, I forgot. There was my prison cellmate who was a fraudster and he did have access to the letters. So I guess it could have been him. Maybe. Like, <laughs> but he denied yeah. it so vehemently and then immediately it was like, oh yeah, there is this also the most obvious suspect who definitely would have been able to do this thing. Oh yeah, BG Dubs. This is clearly the guy who did this thing did this thing. Every single time, like every time something happens to raise the tension, Chris Harrison has them have the dumbest fights over the stupidest things that make no sense so that they'll be mad at each other and like run away from each other. It's so dumb. This is the first in a, well, actually the second after the fight on the dock in many of these <laughs> dumb blow up fights they have. Um, but so he, since he, now that he knows who it is, he says, all right, like I'm going to go out and I'm going to find out everything that I can about this guy and how he got this. And, you know, we'll figure out a way so that you don't have to give him all your money essentially. And also you won't go to jail. So she goes back to do her second round of pitches, and when she comes back, there is a man waiting for her at the cabin, but it's not Jake, it's Joseph, who surprise flew in from New York to be yeah. with her because he thought that was what she wanted, even though she said that she did what not she actually want that. wanted was some time to think. <laughs> Although, he also says he was worried because she didn't answer her calls after, like, one he d she didn't answer his calls after like one and a half days, so obviously nothing to do but get on a plane and fly to Texas. Obs, obs. <sighs> Only reasonable yeah, here, conclusion. 
he had talked to her at one earlier point during the story where he was at a meeting with the head of the publishing house and he told her that the head of the publishing house basically said to him, like, I'm retiring, I want you to take my place, and I think that Lee should have her own imprint. So she, like, possibly has this imprint. So that's, like, kind of the other stakes of her breaking up with Joseph. In addition to, you know, being with this guy for a long time and being afraid of hurting him, she's also positive that if they broke up, they won't be able to work together anymore, so she'll have to leave the publishing company and not have her own imprint and basically start over again somewhere else. He's which there. is another which is another chapter in you don't seem to understand how things work, Chris Harrison. Yes. That's um, illegal. And it is also it is also kind of a strange stakes for this romance novel because it seems like such a specific thing. Yeah. Like I feel yeah. like to the average reader, like I oh, mean, you'll have your own publishing imprint doesn't, like it doesn't seem really that exciting. Yeah. I don't know that the average reader would even necessarily know what a publishing imprint is. Right. And I don't say that to be like a dick about the, the average reader. Yeah, it's just like something so like I the only imprints that I could name for you would be children children's imprints that I learned because I was a bookseller. Like it's uh whatever. Whatever, Chris Harrison. This is what you think is common knowledge. Whatever. <laughs> Or Chris Harrison's ghostwriter, more likely. Right. <laughs> uh, so Joseph's here, and he's like, oh, like, let's celebrate, like, let's have sex. And she's like, uh, no. And he's like, well, I'll let you tie me up, like, last time. Like, it'll be hot. And she's like, <laughs> yeah, he, really he's don't trying to, you. he's trying to negotiate the sex paperwork, but she's closed for business. <laughs> and she's, like, super scared that Jake's going to come back to the apartment and, or the cabin and she'll have to explain the whole thing to Joseph and vice versa. Which, like, maybe is a thing she should have thought about before she fucked him 19 times. Yes. While still being with a guy who, like, thinks they're on the brink of getting engaged. Like, yeah. a phone call would not be, like, out of the question. Yeah. And that's when I said before that this is a a trope that I hate. That's the trope that I hate. This sort of like, oh, well, we're soulmates. So even though I'm with this other person who's so great and so nice to me, like, we just can't help ourselves. We have to have sex 19 times, like, because we're soulmates. And, you know, I know I'm bad, but in the end, I'm going to end up with my soulmate. And yeah, like, like any, I just hate it. Any romance novel plotline that would make Rielle Hunter feel better about herself is a romance novel plotline I'm not here for. Who is that? <laughs> That is a John Edwards crazy um, mistress. Oh, yeah. (coughs) Yep. Correct. Sorry. Deep cut. Deep cut. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm here for it. I just want to know. No, completely. Uh, So she she goes out with Joseph and like sets up this whole plan with Chloe where she'll go find Jake and tell him not to come back to the cabin because Joseph's there. And it's like this elaborate heist like situation. (laughs) Because Jake doesn't have a cell phone because... Uh, a lot reasons slash also i think he just got out of jail like two days ago or something yeah true but still they've got cricket just go get a (laughs) get a burner dude seriously Uh, while they're out at the restaurant fucking joseph proposes again again (laughs) publicly again come on buddy learn from your mistakes like at least a little just make an effort right Right? So everyone in the restaurant is like, yay, and they get, like, champagne and stuff. 
And then the creepy blackmailer comes to, like, congratulate them. And Lee's like, gross. And Joseph's like, why don't you want him to congratulate us? I thought it was nice. And she's like, you're such a dummy. <laughs> Which he, he is, but also she is. But also right. everything is the worst. Yeah. Yep. So they go back to the cabin and Jake's not there. And he's like, let's have celebratory sex. And she's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to go to bed. I'm tired. And also, I maybe don't want to marry you, but whatever. You gave me this dumb ring and I could have a nice life with you, I guess. I don't know. It's dumb. Well, it's awful. Yeah. And she's imagining like the very secure life they could have in New York and like, the bagel she would eat and I was like I would like a bagel right now I don't have one I just have this book (laughs) anyway is it the next day the next day she goes to Jim Stevens and well she it's like the whole thing is that she keeps saying like oh like she has no friends she doesn't tell anyone any secrets she never cries and, like, she tells, like, three total strangers her entire life story <laughs> oh, and mm-hmm. cries all over them, like, within minutes of each other. Right. Because right. before Jim Stevens, it's the lady who organizes the conference who yeah. lets her borrow her car to go look yeah. for Jake. We forgot to mention that. But she's very trusting. Yeah. Very, very trusting. So she cries all over Jim and she's like, oh, my God, like, I want to publish your book, but I can't accept it because I'm probably not going to have a job because I got engaged to a guy I don't love and he's my boss so I'm gonna have to quit my job when I break up with him and sob 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 and he's like oh well you know I want you to be my editor I don't want to be published by your publishing house so you know if you quit your job just hold on to my book and whenever you get reestablished like whatever and she's so touched and I think at that point does the blackmailer come back and that's the point where he tells her, like, I want a million dollars tomorrow? I think before that, maybe she has another stupid fight with Jake. Because he's like, oh, what, your boyfriend came and, like, now you don't want to be with me because of your boyfriend? And she's like, we've been together for, like, years. And I, and he's, like, unreasonably mad about it, I felt like. And so they have that stupid fight. Right. Especially unreasonably mad about it after icing her out for ten years. Literally ten yeah. years, you guys. <laughs> And they keep, and I know that this is a romance novel thing, and I know it's a lot of fiction thing, not just romance novels, but, like, I'm very uncomfortable with the number of times, both with Jake and Joseph, they, one of them tries to come on to her, and she says, like, no, no, I'm not interested. And, like, they force themselves onto her, but, like, she does really want it, like, secretly, so she's into it. Like, it's not even, like, a... It's not even particularly a romance novel thing anymore. Like, most romance novels are more sex positive and less rapey than that most of the time. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, well, obviously any sex without consent is rape. But it's not, you know, like they're pushy or they're hurting her. But it's like, they're like, you know, no, like, I know you want it. She's like, no, no. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And it happens like six times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not great. Yeah, but that happens, like, after they have their fight before she goes and cries all over everyone because he leaves and he's like, you know, no, I I don't want to be with you anymore. I hate you. Like, we're never going to be together. You stay with your dumb fiancé. Who cares? Go back to New York. So she, you know, it comes to this decision that she's going to break up with Joseph and send him away. And 
then like not have Jake or any money because she also decides she's just going to give the blackmailer all the money and that's the end of it. Because she is dumb, you guys. She's really dumb. Real dumb. Yep. Anyway, so she goes, she gets the money, and she's gonna go, does she meet Jake another time between then, or does he just find out about it? He, he... It doesn't matter. She goes to meet the blackmailer. That's what it is. He, he had told her that morning before they had their big fight, and he was like, I hate you, I never want to see you again, that he had found some information on the blackmailer. But he left before he could tell her, so she had told Chloe... Go find Jake, find out what this information is. And she does, and she texts Lee and says, I know, you know, we have information, we're on our way, you know, don't give him the money, don't do anything, hold on. But she already has the money, and he's there, and she can only stall him with, like, super villain exposition for so long. Which she does. (laughs) And by the way, they're at his house. No, they're at her Not cabin. They're no. at their, they're at her cabin. When do they go to his house? Later. Okay, you you tell what happens, <laughs> I guess. Okay, so they're they're at her cabin, and she's like literally like, "Well, what's your plan? How did you do this? Yeah. How many people?" And he's oh. So he's volunteering so much information, up to and including like, "Oh, we've been blackmailing all of these thoroughbred people for years. Me and Jake's dad, but like, I'm his bag man." Which is the kind of job you only get to have if you fucking never tell anyone you're the <laughs> person's bagman, right? right? Like, if you're the shady guy who goes and gets the blackmailing fees from the people who aren't supposed to be able to connect it to, like, marginally less shady guy who's sharing your profits, you only keep that job if you keep your fucking mouth shut. Russ, he what's your face? like, tells her the name, social security number, and address of every person they've ever ripped off. Yeah. It, like, and he's not planning to murder her, so I don't get it. <laughs> I think he's just like, ah, oh, no one will believe her, or, like, he knows she's too scared to say something. Which are ridiculous yeah. things to believe, and one of the many ridiculous things about how this book doesn't understand the way that systems of wealth and privilege work in conjunction with the system of criminal justice in this country. <laughs> So she she eventually runs out of, like, leading questions to ask him. And after he's divulged, like, the entire family tree of everyone he's ever blackmailed, he doesn't have any information to give her anymore. So he takes the money and runs. And, like, two minutes later, Chloe and Jake show up. And they're like, we got the letters. Like, we have his copies of the letters. You shouldn't have given him the money. And she's like, well, you fucking took forever to get here. And you wouldn't tell me what you had. So I had to give him the money. And that's when they go driving around town to try and find out where he is and find out where he lives. So they drive over there to try and get the money from him in his weird, creepy house. Yeah. Sure, as you do. You know, they could have used a librarian. It would have saved them a lot of, like, driving around. Uh Or a private detective, I guess. Either way. Yeah. Um, Jake pretends because his father's in on the whole thing. Jake pretends that his father had sent him to get cut in on this. Oh, and to get the letters back. Because that was the the thing, is that he still had copies. Even though he gave her back after she paid him, he gave her one set of the photocopied letters. He still had another set of them. 
Yeah, and Jake has his dad set, but he pretends black, like no, he pretends your... like his dad wanted him to get the other set back from this guy, and he's <laughs> yeah. like, "Ha ha ha! No, he would never do that." And so, then Jake sets everything on fire. Yeah, so he goes to burn <laughs> the letters in the house. And drops them, and they immediately set the entire house on fire, like, within seconds. Yeah, their house, it's like a Sims house. Like, everything is immediately up in flames, and Russ is just, like, waving his hands around with an exclamation point over his head like a Sim, and Jake is like, get out of here, bro, and Russell is like, my money! (laughs) Because he stuffed the money into the cushions of the couch, so the like, couch is on fire, and he's, like, digging it. had choice to make in the first place. Yes. Right? And, like, second, it's, like, seriously, bro, it's, like, after I finish eating a bowl of cereal, it's not like I put that bowl directly into the dishwasher, right? So, like, the first thing you're going to do when you come home is, like, stuff the money into your couch cushions <laughs> as if, friend. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's part of his code as a bag man. <laughs> And also, Chris Harrison has clearly never watched anything burn before, because the way he describes, like, this stuff, like, it's like he pulls out a chunk of a stack of bills from the couch, and they immediately catch fire and disintegrate in his hands in a second. And that's not (laughs) how fire works. Yeah, Kate and I have started a lot of fires in our time, and we could tell you a thing or two about fires way harder to set a fire than you would think even in texas even in texas anyway so russ dies in the fire because he's greedy and that's the price you pay for greed is dying in a fire yep and uh jake gets a little bit burned and lee's fine but all of her trust fund is burned up And she decides that it's okay. She's going to get a fresh start with all all of that trust fund money. And she's going to open up her own. What a fucking weight off your shoulders. Yeah. Like what a burden that million dollars. Fuck you, Lee. You should have died in a fire too. You didn't. (laughs) Anyway, she's going to open her own publishing house in Austin because it occurred to her that there's so many great writers in Texas and they don't want to go to New York for publishing. Basically, Lee becomes a salsa commercial cowboy who's like, they don't want to go to New York City. They want to go to Austin for their publishing needs, and they will. Uh, And at some point in this, she broke up with Joseph, and who the fuck cares? Uh, She's going to be Austin's number one next top publisher, with her ex-con boyfriend Jake, and it's all gonna be yeah. a happy ever after. Yeah, because she like the she says to him like the last thing she says is yeah you know I have my first two books and the first one is the military guys Jim Stevens' memoir and he goes what's the other one and she tells him that she wants to publish his letters to her <gasps> in a book Ugh. format because he's the best writer she's ever read, Ugh, <laughs> which is not true. Those yeah. letters are a garbage. Yes. Um, oh, one last note that I have that is the plot point we did not quite discuss. I'm just going to actually read you the note that I wrote as I was reading this, because I don't think I can say it any better now. (laughs) OMG, this is just like how Jane Eyre couldn't be with Mr. Rochester until he got hurt in the fire. (laughs) Now that Jake has been hurt in the fire, Lee will definitely be able to tie him up whenever she wants. (laughs) Yay! And that is a thing that they talk about. 
They don't actually talk about tying up, but they talk about how, like, they're going to have to be careful during sex because his hands are all burned. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So I feel like issue number one with this book is clearly this book was not written by Chris Harrison. Okay, but Correct. here's the thing, Margaret. He okay. never thanks a ghostwriter. So if he matter. had one, he's very rude. He's very rude, but, like, are you that surprised to hear that Chris Harrison is very rude? I am significantly less surprised to hear that Chris Harrison is rude than I am to know in my bones that he could not write a book this blandly competent. But I, I'm, I guess I don't know all the copyright rules. I thought you had to mention the name somewhere. Like, I think the standard line is the author would like to thank so-and-so for their help in preparing this manuscript. Don't you have to do something like that? Yeah, I think there has to be some sort of acknowledgement somewhere in there. Because I look, there's not anything on the copyright page, and there's not anything in the acknowledgements that sounds remotely like a ghostwriter. Yeah. Although he does thank Nicholas Sparks for his encouragement and friendship. Yeah, so maybe Nicholas Sparks secretly wrote this book, but like didn't think it was good enough to publish under his own brand, and so he let Chris Harrison have it. Maybe. He's like, maybe Chris Harrison like set him up with some leftovers from The Bachelor. Leftover contestants, I mean. <laughs> or maybe, maybe Chris Harrison and Nicholas Sparks were prison cellmates. And Chris right? Harrison stole this manuscript from underneath Nicholas Sparks' mattress and he kept it. That seems way more plausible. <laughs> I, mean, um, I feel like it's also important to know, I was just looking at the copyright page, but this book is dedicated to my kids, Joshua and Taylor, you will always be the greatest love story I ever write, which is disgusting, Chris Harrison. It is. Also, that made me look up his Wikipedia page, and Chris Harrison is divorced. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sad. Oh, sad for Bachelor Nation. There is a great profile of Chris Chris Harrison by Taffy Brodecker Asner, or Brodesser Ackner. It's one of those two. She's great. She wrote it for GQ. But either way. Just read it. It's super funny. I'll send it to you guys and you can link it in the show notes. And we sure will. Yeah. Like, to be honest, I don't know a lot about Chris Harrison. Like I said, I've, I've never watched The Bachelor. I thought he was a contestant until I read The Flap. <laughs> um, but having been on the internet in the world of fandom for as long as I have, it it's like it's easy for people to write garbage, but it's also... A surprising number of people can write totally bland, mediocre, not bad, but not at all super interesting stories competently. I don't know that I believe that Chris Harrison can do that. People might be able to. But it's like <laughs> I've heard words come out of his mouth and they don't do it well. Yeah. <laughs> well... I mean, he was, like, a journalist-ish before this. Was he? I mean, he, had, he was on TV news, and don't those people okay. have to write the stuff that they read? Do they? I can't <laughs> imagine that they do. I'm I thought sorry. that was... That's what uh, movies about journalism have led me to believe. That's what Sports Night led me to believe. Mm -hmm. My head is just in permanent skeptical tilt, and that will be reflected in me saying, is it a bunch <laughs> I just cannot, I cannot buy that Chris Harrison wrote this himself. I don't know who did write it, but I can't buy that Chris Harrison did. I All refuse right. it. I refuse. Categorically. <laughs> I'm a perfect letter truther. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how about if we move on to our dramatic readings and we can read whatever question mark wrote out loud and maybe that will help <laughs> our listeners have some clues as to this mystery author's identity. 
Uh, fair. So I think mine comes first chronologically. Mm-hmm. So I will go ahead and I will start. Um, I'm going to read a bit of Lee's uh, keynote address at the Austin Writers Conference because it's terrible and stupid. And I just feel like you guys will appreciate that. And here we go. So Lee is hungover. So the organizer of the conference brought her a Bloody Mary, which she's apparently drinking during her keynote address. Classy AF. Exactly. Uh, Lee took a sip of her Bloody Mary and continued. Some of the earliest novels were disguised as letters. It was called the Epistolary Forum, and it was used for some of the greatest narratives in literature. Pamela, Les Liaisons Dangereux, Wuthering Heights, even Frankenstein was written as a series of letter, and wouldn't the world be a poorer place without that book? But now people speak in sound bites. Everything is glib, manufactured. Everything is over in a hurry. 140 characters and get out. But none of that makes for a good novel, does it? She could see their heads shaking no. She had them. Even now, in the 21st century, we yearn for connection with other people, for experiences we haven't had, for a sense of delight and inspiration, for those human emotions, fear and love, anger and awe, to taste them again and again like good meals we've eaten, like memories. If you've read The Perfect Letter, you know how well Richard Milliken created those feelings in his reading, in his readers. Connection, awe, delight. It's not something that can be rushed through. It's not something you can divulge in a status update. It takes time and patience. So that's a little bit of someone's thoughts about social media in this day and age and the importance of letter writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love to know Chris Harrison's thoughts about the romance of meeting your true love on television. Yeah. But I wonder we'll if that's know, the kind of thing that can be contained in a status update. <laughs> but that's not what this book is about no. tragically tragically all right well the next dramatic reading i'm gonna read and it is one of jake's letters to lee and if you'll recall these letters are going to be published as a book because jake is the best writer lee has ever known <clears throat> february 8th 2006 burnside county jail burnside texas dear lee I keep thinking about the snow. I was there too, getting with you into the... I tried to do a Texas accent and I stopped after one sentence. (laughs) Riding with you from the airport, my feet sloshing through the cold and wet. The flakes in your eyelashes, falling. How beautiful to think of you there. Safe. I finally finished Anna Karenina yesterday. I kept putting it down, feeling sorry for myself for a few weeks, then coming back to it later. I can see why you love it. I was there with poor Anna when she threw herself under the train, just as I was with you on your way to Boston. Don't know if I've ever read anything sadder. I keep thinking about it, and that good way you do with books that mean something to you. I want to do better. I want to improve myself, my station. It's all I have. Maybe my reading here in prison will be like colleges for you, a university for convicts. I like to imagine you reading Tolstoy near the cold, gray Atlantic, talking about novels and stuffy classrooms that smell like chalk with intelligent people, well-read people like you. Tomorrow, I'll be getting on a corrections bus for Huntsville Prison. 
I heard a couple of the guards laughing about it. Apparently, they wanted me to hear them laughing about it, making rape jokes. I don't understand why people think prison rape is such a laugh. They knew I was scared. They wanted me to be scared. They must think I deserve it. I do deserve it. I do. But that doesn't mean I'm not scared. The way people look at you when you're in prison isn't like the way they look at you anywhere else. Their eyes turn toward you. Their face is turned toward your face. But there's something vacant in the eyes. Their attention isn't on you. Notice this first with the guards, but it happened too with the judge, with the prosecutor. Even as the trial went on with the jury. That's how I knew when I was in trouble. I'm going to skip a little bit of this because this letter's hella long. Yeah. You're angry that I don't send these letters to you, and I don't blame you. But I refuse to torture you with my thoughts, my fears. I'm no good for you, Lee. I've already done enough damage to you for one lifetime. It will be better for both of us if I stay away. It will be better for you if you do think I'm dead. If you remember me at all, I hope it will be the way I was when we first met. Cocky. Hopeful. I like to think that someone in the world still remembers me that way. One day, when I get out of here, I might be able to go back to being that person. I hope. Love, Jay. So, it's fine. And I do want to give a shout out to Chris Harrison for his anti-prison rape joke stance. Totally. Kudos to you. Prison rape's not cool. Don't make jokes about it, bros. Or ladies. But I feel like it's mostly bros who make jokes about it. Mm-hmm. And... Like a counterpoint, like a earlier bit about reading Anna Karenina was especially great because uh, Jake observes that like Anna's husband or brother gets to have all kinds of affairs and not get in trouble with it. But that like Anna has to like leave her husband and lose everything the second she gets together with Vronsky. And he's like, maybe Tolstoy just wanted to punish her. And I was like, yeah, bro. Or that was what it was like in the 19th century in Russia. Like, one or the other. Also, it's what happens to Lee. Yep. It's true. She loses everything just so she can be with the man that she loves. Of course, he also loses some skin in a fire. Yeah. <laughs> he loses a lot more. Um, also, can we just pause for a second here to talk about what a fucking asshole move it is? To not respond to letters or calls or visits for 10 years and then just be like oh whatevs I'm out now so not only am I gonna drop off all these letters that I received from you and read over and over and over again for years but I'm also gonna drop off all these replies that I never sent to you but I'm gonna act like cool peace I'm gonna leave now because I don't want to be some bad for you in your life Right? Which, fine. Like, whatever. Have that position. But you can't have that position. And then 30 seconds later, when you find out that the girl's ready to get back together with you again, be like, JK, let's be together forever. I still love you. Right? And then be pissed when she's, like, confused and not sure what to do. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, she's seeing someone else, like, fucking they get together, bro. Talk, right? Where she yells at him and is like, what the fuck? Why didn't you write back to me? You left me all alone. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. Be mad at him. That is appropriate. And I am proud of you for experiencing that emotion. (laughs) And then, like, he, like, kisses her. And she's like, whatevs. Totes over it. Let's be together forever. And I was like, no. (laughs) Not be together forever. Well, we don't know for sure. Because this book, you know, I would, like, follow up ten years later when Lee is like, 
I guess there's a reason all the publishing companies are in Texas. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's Uh, a virtue for being in the same city as all of the other publishers in the world. Maybe. Mabes. But they have real good salsa in Texas, though. And that's what matters. (laughs) That was another, like, random thing. Like, to show how Joseph is, like, a total square, she takes him out to eat at some, like, local Mexican place that she loved as a kid. And he's all like... You know, is this organic? What's in this? What's the difference between an enchilada and a burrito? Like, can you tell me, like, where this these ingredients... It, it was like he was totally... And they were all ordering margaritas. And he's like, could I have a glass of Pinot Grigio? Like, it, uh, it was so dumb. Yeah. Like, I love I love me a clearly not right for the heroine uh, fiancé. And, like, like, he's a great archetype. He's a great execution of that archetype. Right. Right. Of the like notionally unobjectionable, but like objectionable in every possible way. He's no, uh, the best form of that is uh, Ralph Bellamy in His Girl Friday um, as Bruce, who's just amazing. And I'll say whatever, whatever the guy's name is, he's no Bruce, but <laughs> but they do a pretty good job. Of right. One last thing. Yeah. One last thing about New York. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they have Mexican food there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they have yes. every kind of food in New York, so I don't know why he was like, what's a burrito? I don't know. <laughs> this is just like, oh my god, this is just like, I got a free sample of one of those uh, things where they send you food, and I'm not going to name the brand, but a thing where they send you food in the mail to make uh, your own meals. And there was a meal that came in my box, and it was burritos, but it was called Cool Mexican Bean Wraps, and I was so mad about it. And maybe Joseph's new job is working for that company and sending out Cool Mexican Bean Wraps to people, because he's like, this is what white people call burritos, right? That's the same. Anyway. (laughs) So we'll do our last dramatic reading, which is when... The blackmailer Russ's house is on fire and burns up in literally like a page. (laughs) It's so on fire. Uh, And in this dramatic reading, I will be Russ the blackmailer and Margaret will be Jake the dummy and Kate will be Lee the other dummy slash the narrator of this book. Everything was so dry and cluttered, so haphazard and disorganized that it lit up almost immediately. Papers, magazines, old furniture, wallpaper, cobwebs. In less than 30 seconds, the whole front room of the house was fully engulfed. Jake, sensing the battle was lost, stumbled towards the front door, covering his nose with the collar of his t-shirt. Russell, he said. Get out of there. It's too late. The whole house is going. Lee was moving back now, jumping down from the porch, but she could still see Russell rushing back to the kitchen for more water and towels. The fire was spreading fast now. He came back, clutching wet towels to his chest. The money! He said to Jake, drenching one end of the sofa with the bowl of water. The other was the other was still alight, though, so he dropped the bowl and beat at the sofa with his wet towels like his life depended on it. Where? In the sofa! The cushions! Through the window, Lee could see the form of Russell Benoit dark against the blaze, plunging his hands into the fiery sofa cushions and pulling them apart. The money hidden inside the cushions burned fast and hot like kindling, but Russell grabbed at the bundles, clutching them even as they disintegrated in his hands. 
Lee could see the stacks of hundreds curling at the edges as they burned, the fire scorching the skin on Russell's hands. But it was like he felt no pain, or else he was so consumed with greed that he didn't care. The whole house was going up in smoke. Black clouds billowed out of the chimney and the edges of the roof. Feeling the heat coming from the front room, Lee ran back to where Chloe was already on the phone with the fire department. Come quick, she was saying. The whole place is on fire. Then a scream. Lee dashed toward the door once more, fearing for Jake, but before she got there, the screen door opened and Russell stumbled out. He was on fire. His shirt had caught and the flames were spreading up his shoulders into his hair. Jake flung himself at him, half dragging him out the door and onto the porch, and flung himself on top of the smaller man, rolling him over and over, smashing at the flames with his hands. All the while, Russell was sobbing. My money! My money! He was looking back toward the house, and Lee realized the man didn't know he was hurt. He didn't feel anything yet. He was only thinking of the million dollars he had stashed in the sofa cushions. And before Jake could stop him, he jumped up and ran back into the house. Wait! Russ, don't go back in there! It's too late! But Russell Benoit had gone back into the house. Now the second story was on fire, too, smoke billowing out from the windows as the roof caught fire. From outside the house, they could hear him screaming. Lee caught a glimpse of him running back into the kitchen with his hair on fire, his mouth wide open, stretched nearly to breaking, his eyes flickering with the light of the flames. She caught a glimpse of him falling and something from the ceiling, a burning beam maybe, falling down on top of him. And then it was gone. The house, the money, Russell, it was all too late. Well, that's what happens when you care too much about money, guys. It's just the whole money Die in a house fire. That's right. (laughs) The whole money thing seemed so strange to me that like... It kind of comes out of nowhere, like, oh, like, I'm going to take you for this million dollars. And then he successfully does. And then it burns in a fire. Like, it, it, I, <laughs> I don't understand. Is it a metaphor? I don't get it. I One don't... of the questions here is, does The Bachelor have a cash prize? Is the burning of a million dollars a symbolic protestation of The Bachelor? No, The Bachelor <laughs> has no cash prize. The only prize is love. <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> notionally the only prize is like your career as like a club promoter and instagram model i think you don't even get like a lifetime supply of nyx cosmetics no you get nothing you just get the bachelor or et why are people on this show because they're there for the right reasons or they're hoping to launch a modeling career Mm. i guess it is sketchier if there's also a cash prize yeah I mean, I guess if there were, I would symbolically protest it by writing a romance novel about it. (laughs) It's weird, though. It's so weird. I don't get it at all. Well, let's move on and play some Would You Rather. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And I'll ask, would you rather fuck Jake in the cave or Joseph in the bed? Me? Joseph in the bed? Just because I don't want bats getting tangled up in any part of me. I know, you could get rabies. Exactly. Also, like, the bats are in their habitat. Like, they should just get to have that habitat to themselves. Mm-hmm. Also, as someone who's Kentucky adjacent, I was annoyed that they called the cave Mammoth Cave because Mammoth Cave is in Kentucky and it's real famous. And I <laughs> guess I don't doubt that somebody could have also named a smaller cave Mammoth Cave. 
But if you're putting this in your romance novel and you can call it whatever, why don't you just call it, like, Chris Harrison Cave? cave. <laughs> yeah. You call it whatever. But you called it the name of the most famous cave in America <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I I don't know. Because, like, Jake is hotter and Joseph is kind of a milk toast who doesn't know what a burrito is. Uh, and he might not let me tie him up, but maybe we could, like, negotiate our sex paperwork and... Right! He's open to being tied up, you just need to talk to him about it. Yeah. And he's rich, which, as rich. as established in previous uh, episodes, uh, Kate and I are both open to gold digging, so... Yeah, same. <laughs> me too. I'll go with Joseph, yep. yeah. That was exactly what I was gonna say, is that I'm not really into either of those options, but at the end of the day... Joseph has a lot of money, so I'll go with that. Yeah. And proximity to bagels. Yes. Clutch. So clutch. (laughs) All right. Next up, would you rather write a stack of unanswered emotional letters to your incarcerated boyfriend or write a series of hilarious tweets shared with hundreds of internet strangers? Like, do I even need to answer this one? Yeah, this is just your brand, Margaret. <laughs> no, <laughs> my brand is definitely a series of hilarious treats shared with hundreds of internet strangers. Right. Fuck unanswered emotional letters to your incarcerated boyfriend. That's what the draft folder in my Gmail account is for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like our brand is probably more sex paperwork, but, you know, between those two... I will obviously take hilarious tweets. It is a not-so-secret desire of mine to be seen as funny by all I encounter. Well, I don't know, you guys, because I'm just really concerned about the decline of society as caused by social media. (laughs) And I think I'd rather form a real human connection by having four years of one-sided dialogue via letter writing to my incarcerated boyfriend with a sexy bat tattoo. (laughs) Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. If Twitter's destroying America, then I say bring it on. That's the America I want to live in. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag feel the burn. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but not Bernie Sanders. I'm saying feel the burn with a U, and I'm referring to my boyfriend dying in a fire. Yep. <laughs> to be clear. <laughs> Anyway, our last would you rather is would you rather get with your childhood sweetheart or find a new partner on christianmingle.com. So I went to a pretty fancy private school K through six. So my childhood sweetheart is like kind of loaded. So I would definitely marry him instead of finding a new partner on Christian Mingle because I already hate online dating. And if you have to add religion into it as well, it just sounds like a nightmare. Unless it's J-Date, which I'm totally open to. But sadly, I'm too much of a shiksa to use. (laughs) Um, Tragically, with the exception of my first girlfriend, who I think is married but married to a woman, uh, almost every woman I've ever dated has gone on to marry a man. So... Lame. Of them, not you. What was that? I said that was lame of them, not you. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Christian Mingle and hope that I can use its good Christian values to find a lesbian. Yes. (laughs) I'm a little tempted because I've completely lost track of my, uh, my first childhood sweetheart and not been able to find them on social media, even though every so often I just look out of curiosity. So probably he's in witness protection, so that might be kind of (laughs) cool. But I do have to thank our loyal sponsor, Christian Mingle, 
uh, for their year of support of us. And so I would, of course, choose to use their services. (laughs) Well, one of us should at least try. Right. All right. So now we'll move on to our reader's advisory where we'll suggest things to read or maybe watch instead of or in addition to reading the perfect letter. Mm -hmm. And I'll start. um, You know, this is a reality TV adjacent book. And I will also say I actually started watching The Bachelor this season for the first time. And I only ever watched the last half of it because it comes on. It starts while I'm at work, and then I watch the last half of it at the gym that I go to right after work. But it seems pretty entertaining, and I totally get why people watch it, especially if you can watch it while it's on and join Margaret and others in live <laughs> tweeting it. It's the best part. Absolutely the best part. But uh, another reality television show that I have not had a chance to endorse in quite some time is, of course, RuPaul's Drag Race, which is coming back March 7th, and then I will finally have a reason to live again. <laughs> a reality TV adjacent reader's advisory, well, watcher's advisory that I'm going to give without actually having seen it yet is the television show Unreal, which I believe started on streaming it's on great. Hulu oh, this it's great. week. It's great. Yeah, I, yeah, I haven't and I seen both it. watched it. Thumbs up. Yeah. I haven't seen it because it has only just started streaming on things that I can access. So that's, I think, what we're going to tackle next now that. We've caught up on all of our other shows and that Baby Chefs and uh, mm-hmm. Galavan are over for the season. You used to be able to watch it on Lifetime.com. I but. can't really watch things on my computer. I don't. My attention span is too weird. I need to be able to do something on my computer, which I can't if I'm using it to watch a thing. So we watch everything on our television. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoy it now that it's accessible. Yes. Um, But a real thing that I actually have read is the book All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han, uh, which is a very good book that is about, at its heart, a girl who has written letters to all of the boys that she's had crushes on that she never intended to send them, and then they get sent. It's really good, and I think there's a sequel now. There is. Yes. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's very charming, too. Is it P.S. I Still Love You or something? Yes! Great work. It is P.S. I Still Love You. Hashtag librarian. (laughs) Um, Another thing that I'll recommend that's pretty adjacent to this book, it's really a book that I would like to recommend to the character of Lee. But I I would like to recommend the book Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strayed to her, which is a compilation of Dear Sugar advice columns, which I love. And it just seemed to me like Lee was constantly seeking wisdom from, like, strangers, like the lady at the conference and Jim Stevens, the author. And I feel like she could just do with a, a good sound dose of advice from Cheryl Strayed. And honestly, so could all of us, probably. Yeah. Um, so I'll throw in one of mine here. The thing that this book reminded me of the most is the uh, Reese Witherspoon romantic comedy, Sweet Home Alabama, where a, like, southern girl who's run away to New York uh, gets proposed to by her fancy city boyfriend and then has to go back to, like, the small town in Alabama she left behind her and secure a divorce from, uh, like, the husband she married when she was 17. But obviously she just falls back in love with him. Obviously. Obviously. And it's great. And it involves Candace Bergen as uh, Reese Witherspoon's, like, mean, 
domineering future mother-in-law and Patrick Dempsey as her uh, dreamy, but obviously wrong for her New York boyfriend. And like that movie is dumb, but super delightful. And it's always great to get to see Reese Witherspoon play like with her trashy Southern side. So I wholeheartedly recommend that and think it's way better than this book. All the same appeal, none of the dragging uh, melodramatic nonsense. And then uh, totally different, but touching on a lot of the same themes, I wanted to recommend the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society, which is a book by uh, Mary Ann Schaefer and Annie Barrows. And it is set right after World War II in England, where a woman ends up striking up a correspondence with a bunch of people on an island just off the coast of England because some books she sold to a used bookshop get sent there. And one of the guys writes her and is like, Charles Lamb is so great. Tell me more about like him and can I find more of his books? So she becomes pen pals with all the people on this island. And then she goes to the island to visit them so that she can write a book. And everybody's incredibly charming and sweet and smart. And you have the same sort of like publishing environment and you have a focus on letters, only the letters are actually really good and charming and funny. Um, and the publishing stuff is much more interested in Patches the Sniff Test. And the love story <laughs> is a million times better. So highly recommend the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Probably if you liked this book, read a Nicholas Sparks book. But if you like the idea of this book, but think that the actual execution sounds terrible, read the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society instead. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll have these and some more suggestions available on the Reader's Advisory tab on our website, worstbestsellers.com. So check it out if you heard about something that you think you might want to check out. And now we'll move on and say our candy pairing, where we'll suggest a candy to accompany this book. My candy pairing for this book would be one of those chocolate bars with like little pieces of hot peppers in it, because I guess some people would be into it, but it seems pretty terrible to me. And also it sounds like something people probably would eat in Texas. Um, I'll say that mine is actually last year I went to Austin and I went to a bunch of like food trucks and famous Austin food places and I went to this famous donut food truck and I ordered a donut that was supposed to come with a gummy rattlesnake on it which I thought sounded adorable and they apologized profusely but they were out of gummy rattlesnakes and I feel like that whole experience encapsulates this book of like, oh, that seems like it might be fun, but you're actually out of gummy rattlesnakes. But also there's probably snakes in the cave that they were in. So in short, I'll say a gummy rattlesnake that may or may not actually be available. And uh, for me, I'm going to say that the candy pairing I would recommend is just like a giant carne asada burrito, which I eat. <laughs> a what like now? Candy. A what a now? Carne asada I haven't heard of that. Burrito. It's one of the things that uh, Lee eats at like the first Tex-Mex restaurant she goes to in Austin. Oh, is that like a bean wrap? It's yeah, yeah. It's a it's a cool Mexican bean wrap. Cool. <laughs> so how is that different from an enchilada? <laughs> um, it's not. They're all the same. <laughs> okay. All right. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's mostly because like the primary takeaway that I have of this is that I just really wanted to eat like a giant steaming plate of like meaty fajitas. And the book did not deliver them to you. No. Disappointing on all levels. Yeah. Real disappointing. <laughs> real straight bummer. All right. Well, we will move on to our favorite game. <laughs> the Rock Paper Snicked. 
where <laughs> Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I will say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Margaret will choose which character would most enhance the book. Or she can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. <laughs> All right. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be one of the conference attendees who's pitching Lee a book about his exploits. Uh, since he's so kind and comforting, much like Shauna, who was the conference organizer, and Jim Stevens, she would open up to him and share all of her inner turmoil and cry all over him because apparently she just does that to strangers at this conference. Uh, and instead of patting her on the back and telling her to follow her heart, The Rock would ask her some questions about how she got so twisted up and eventually he'd get the whole story out of her. He would reasonably contact the police to intervene. Russ would go to jail an investigation would open up about Dale's murder, but Lee would, would be found to be acting in self-defense in the face of rape threats and, you know, Dale trying to kill her boyfriend. Uh, Jake would be exonerated, and all the crazy press would make Lee's new publishing house sell a zillion books, and of course, one of the first books she would publish would be The Rock's book. Mm, I would read The Rock's book. Same. same. By that, I mean I would have sex with The Rock. Same. <laughs> Not Same. <laughs> Hey, come on. <laughs> nope. Okay. I have very little room for heterosexuality at any given time, and right now all of that is devoted to David Diggs. Right. Fair. Fair. I agree with At least you chose a too. good receptacle for it. All right. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, um, I felt that the character of Jim Stevens was basically a plot function that Wolverine will often play in in X-Men narratives. So I would just swap out Jim Stevens for Wolverine. And so it would just be Hugh Jackman hanging out with a memoir that he's written about the Weapon X program. And he would have this meeting with Lee and encourage her to follow her heart. And he doesn't really give a shit, but he doesn't like it when <laughs> girls are sad. And also, when they meet at the coffee shop and he buys her a pastry, he would definitely eat it off his claws and it would be hilarious. Okay. <laughs> so I will say, as charming as the image of a, like, Wolverine spearing, like, a chocolate croissant and just, like, eating it off his claws is to me, which is incredibly, incredibly riveting image, I gotta go with The Rock because I feel like he's doing a lot more actively mm-hmm. to correct some of the nonsense that's going on in this book and I just would really like to see the nonsense corrected. That's certainly fair. So I'm picking Rock for this time. Rock wins. Rock, paper, scissor. No. Rock, paper, snicked. Thank you. Yeah, there's no scissors allowed in this game. We <laughs> do not pay copyright fees to big scissors. Please do not use that <laughs> word again. <laughs> uh, yeah. But thank you for playing the rock paper snicked with us, Margaret. Anytime, As guys. Usual, there are no losers in rock paper snicked. Uh, except for uh, Lee, I would say. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> she is just kind of a loser. Lee, you know, every character in this book really. Has except been. Chloe, I would have loved to read a book about Chloe. Her, That's like, true. Hot slut best friend who's also like an Austin nightclub singer and has pink hair. Like she seems great. That's true. I would 100% read a book about Chloe. Significantly prefer. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, in addition to that, let's move on to our moral of the story, besides the fact that Chloe is great. Uh, My moral is that it's actually totally possible to get away with murder if you have a devoted boyfriend and are willing to, to commit arson to cover it up.
excellent moral. Um, my moral of the story is when terrible illegal things are happening, never go to the police. Instead, let your boyfriend go to prison for 10 years, get blackmailed, have all your money stolen, then set a fire that kills a man and destroys your fortune, and you'll still live happily ever after, apparently. And contrary to you guys, I know that that's what the book wants us to take away, but the moral that I took away from this book is literally never cover up a murder, especially if you're a rich white lady. The criminal justice system is already designed to do this for you. Just let them do their job and keep your trust fund intact. And I don't know, maybe buy yourself like a plane ticket or a nice apartment with the trust fund instead of just like cherishing it as a sentimental reminder of your grandfather because yeah. that's stupid and I could have done things with that million dollars <laughs> okay I could use that million dollars right now we could have used it to fund our worst bestsellers world trip to Volterra Italy exactly and there would have been plenty of money left over for you to buy a tastefully framed photo of your grandfather to remember right. him by <laughs> endow like a like a department at a college in his name for like horse trainers or yeah. something right name a horse Just after him right genetically right. engineer a unicorn for him <laughs> so or do just better things burn it with your trust fund and just confess to murder like way up at the top if you're rich and white and privileged and you've killed someone poor because your prob's gonna be just fine nailed it Thank you. <laughs> and now we will move on to Duarte's Corner, where, of course, my cat Duarte gets to share his opinions on this book. Huh. All right. Well, thank you for sharing, Duarte. I mean, the book would have been really different if it was about cat trainers instead of horse <laughs> trainers. But, you know, I see where you're coming from. I mean, that would have made it a lot more like Black Hills, which was a much better book than this. So you're probably <laughs> on to something, as usual. Duarte is a very insightful young gentleman cat. <laughs> uh, he says thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Duarte, for sharing your opinions. And now, do any humans have any closing thoughts? I'm still so mad that a literal plot point of this book was a hundred, was a million dollars burning in a fire me too it's gonna it's gonna keep me up at night <sighs> the good news is it's it's fictional yeah I this know. gave me like terrible season two of friday night lights flashbacks i've just been real burned by plot points about people hiding murders <laughs> that they totally don't need to hide when they were done in legitimate self-defense because of sexual assault threats being made and ugh, just really woke up like just like, kicked up a lot of dust in my heart okay that's all i'm telling you guys that's all uh, i can you know that was... tammy taylor probably would have had some great advice for Lee. Oh. also yeah actually don't read this book just watch friday night lights 100 percent. that was actually another thing that i thought was interesting and lacking in the book is that he had no problem being like oh like they're making jokes about prison rape and that's wrong you shouldn't joke about that but like they never went Dale very obviously a puts his hands on her body at one point and threatens her. And then when she has the gun and is confronting him in the stable or whatever the hell you call where horses live, um, is continuing to make like sexual assault threats at her. And it's never called sexual assault. It's never called rape. It's never thought of as something bad enough 
to have to have her need to defend herself like that like it's not really yeah, addressed. You keep calling it murder, which it's not. Yeah, like they they do not address the fact that this older man who has already assaulted her is saying like I will continue to assault you if you don't put the gun down or whatever. It's that bothered me too. Anyway, that's my closing thought. He was with the FBI though, so she might have thought that he had immunity. <laughs> because anyway <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry for everything that has happened <laughs> in this podcast <laughs> uh, if you're still listening though you can follow us on Twitter at worst bestseller with no s or like us on Facebook at Worst Bestsellers Spelled Normally. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at Mrs. Friday Next. You can also hear Margaret on her podcast, Appointment TV, as a guest on Pop Culture Happy Hour, and subscribe to her newsletter to Bossy Dames. That's right. Here's some other stuff you can do while you've got the internet out and open. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher and iTunes and leave a review of us there. And it would be so cool if you would do that. I thought Kate was going to make a joke because she usually does. But okay, I'll just... Sorry, no, I'm, I'm going to sneeze. Pause. Oh, no. Oh, no. See, you got you to gotta rate our podcast because Kate has TB and she needs money to go to the doctor for Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Uh, some other stuff you can do that maybe we have not mentioned before is we have recently started a blog called The Worst Blog, and you can get to that. Um, the easiest way is just if you go to worstbestsellers.com and click the button that says blog. Uh, we've also started a Goodreads group, so those of you listeners who use Goodreads, which uh, is a social networking site for book reviewing, basically, you can join the Worst Bestsellers group there. We have a bookshelf of all the books that we've read and what we're going to read, and we've got some discussion threads going. It's pretty cool and fun. You can search Goodreads groups for Worst Bestsellers or get to us from worstbestsellers.com and click on Goodreads, whatever <laughs> seems easiest to you. Yeah, there's lots of exciting uh, discussion topics there that are very integral to our podcast, like recommendations for future books, discussion of episodes, and discussion of Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, I joined this group today, and I can highly recommend it as a choice. Thank you, Margaret. Anytime, guys. And the last thing we'll make a tiny plug for is just a casual reminder that if you happen to be shopping on Amazon.com, and we understand that many of you have moral objections to Amazon and won't shop there, and that's totally your prerogative, but if you do happen to shop at Amazon, if you would get to Amazon by clicking on any link from our website, it doesn't matter. You know, you can click on the link for Perfect Letter and then not buy that. But if you initially arrived at Amazon through a link on our website, then we will get a little percentage back of whatever money you gave to Amazon for your goods that you've decided to purchase. And we would really yeah. appreciate that. Uh, cause, Especially because Renata had to pay an extra $3 for this book. I mean. We really, you know, yeah, she I deserves to, pay $5 to get that money book. back. Mm -hmm. You do. Duarte does not eat the cheap cat food, you guys. So, <laughs> you know, just we really, and uh, 
a lot of people have been shopping from our link and we super appreciate it. It's super awesome when we get that little letter from Amazon saying they've made a deposit to us. We love it. Um, and of course, if you are not spending money on Amazon, we also love it when you tweet at us or review our podcast on iTunes. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you can make us feel loved. And thanks so much to everyone who does any or multiple of those things. Margaret, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, you two. This was, your company was delightful, even if the book was just fine. <laughs> That's how I feel about you, Margaret. You oh, are delightful. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you in two weeks with the book Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers. Oh and my to God, be I clear, when wait. I say you, I mean listeners of the podcast. Margaret will not be back for that book. She, But I'm a listener of the podcast and as a listener of the podcast. Oh my God, I can't wait. <laughs> So that should be exciting, a, a departure away from Chris Harrison, but to continue with our Valentine's Day month theme of romance, we're going to be reading an evangelical Christian romance novel, which our sponsors at Christian Mingle should be delighted about. You guys are so brave. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's all from us. Bye. Bye. Never want to let you down. Run around.